<laughs> Three, two, one. Ooh, that was a little off this time. Do you want me to do it again? No. <laughs> okay. It's not worth it. Um, see, this is why I wanted us to have something planned. Because now there's just silence. Because I don't want to start you the intro yet. You still do yet. the intro. I don't want to start it yet. <laughs> Maybe I want there to be some banter ahead of time, Craig. Okay. So we all know that the best cold opens are when the people are discussing the cold open before the cold (laughs) open happens, okay? So some things to maybe keep in mind when you, the audience, listen to this. One, I'm not on my medication. Two, this is the first social interaction I've had all day. It's two o'clock. Three, I, you know, sleep has been a struggle for me recently. I woke up. You know, thinking that I needed to help a customer. It was nine in the morning. So four. Craig g- doesn't know how to count that high. To nine? <laughs> I said to four. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I so just I just want you, the audience, to know this is a roller coaster. And hey, if you also listen to Permanent Good, I've been giving that disclaimer a lot recently. Like, I think there have been three episodes in the last, like, two or three months where I tell the audience, hey, I'm coming in with a weird energy. So I think that by now they should expect the weird energy kind of comes and goes. Don't be surprised by it anymore. That is entirely valid. But at this point, Craig, I don't think it's a disclaimer. I think you're just making up excuses. I'm making up excuse. What? Now you're the one with the weird energy. Hold on. This is like this is like a weird hostility. Like, hey, Craig, I know you've been going through it, but uh, maybe it's your fault. <laughs> no, that's not what I was saying. I was <laughs> saying <laughs> that maybe this is just the new normal. Okay. That's probably, probably more likely. Anyway, do you want to actually start the episode? Jesus, this is a show. You should probably just cut this out. I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. Welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't be covered on permanent good. Do you ever, like, ruin food and then realize that you kind of, like, ruin too much food at once? Let me tell you what I'm talking about is, you know... I work in a movie theater, so sometimes I take home popcorn. And so what I did was I went to the store and I bought popcorn salt and, like, butter-flavored seasoning. And I put way too much on that butter-flavored seasoning on this, like, three-gallon bag of popcorn. And now the popcorn's just kind of gross. But I'm still looking at it. It'd be a shame to throw it all away. But it's getting closer and closer to that every day. You're really uh, going through it with that popcorn, huh? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and like I can't look away for some reason. Like I'm emotionally connected to this bag of popcorn, and if I were to turn my focus back onto the recording computer, I'd like be breaking both of our hearts. Do you think that you know you poured so much love in there along with no. the butter that it's coming alive? Nah, nah. I hope coming alive. I hope not. It's coming after you, Craig. You better you better sleep with. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sleep with what, bug? Huh? Sleep with what? I called myself. I don't want to say no, it. No, say it. Say it. <laughs> better uh, sleep with your one eye open, Greg. Okay, yeah. I'll let you know how that works and I'll get back to you. Anyway, we are watching the Mummy franchise. First of all, I know this is the third tangent in the episode. <laughs> we haven't even started the movie talk yet. I was telling, you know, my friends, like, yeah, we're doing the Mummy franchise this month. And they're like, oh, which Mummy? And I said, the original one. And they said... Well, technically, the Brendan Fraser one is the remake of, like, the 1939... Shut up! Wrong. I don't care. This is the original. Brendan Fraser is the original. It is the original. So, regardless of, you know, the predecessors, the reception, this is the original mummy, right? This is the original mummy to so many people. It's one. Hey, Brendan Fraser's mummy is the Band-Aids of the Mummy franchise. You may, you may mean to say, I picked up some bandages, but you say you picked up some band-aids. Same thing with the mummy. I agree. I definitely agree. These ones are the only ones that matter. Now, to be fair, I haven't seen any of the other ones. And that speaks for itself. Yeah. <laughs> like, the Tom Cruise one came out and I almost watched it several times, but I found something better every time. You know, it just, it be like that. So... What what order are we watching these, Craig? Mummy. Mummy Returns. The Scorpion King. Something about the Emperor's Tomb. So, the Mummy has a rating of 61%, and the Mummy Returns has a rating of 47%. Now, I got asked this question earlier this week, and I really want your opinion on it, and I've waited until this moment to ask you because I really want to know. If you could only watch movies either rated over 90 or under 90%, which are you picking? Ooh, what a great question. I'm going to say under 90% because I think there are some things that I'll have to double check. You're talking about the Rotten Tomato score, right? Sure. Um, It is a bummer because I will miss, you know, my favorite movie of all time is Into the Spider-Verse and I'll be missing out on that one. Like, that's a genuine bummer for me, but... I think that more often than not, a Rotten Tomatoes score is not going to line up with how I view a movie. So I am willing to whatever, you know. That's that's what I, yeah, that's kind of what I said is like all of my favorite movies tend to be well under a 90%. So I'm going to have to stick with under. Yeah, and because there are a lot of good movies that live in the 80% realm. Like, you know, this year's Batman movie sits at an 85. Uh, You know, one of my other favorite movies, Scott Pilgrim, sits at an 82. The first Kingsman movie sits at like 75. So the if the only favorite movie I'm losing is Spider-Verse, that's a big blow. But I think I would recover. I agree. That's exactly my thought process. So good to know we're on the same page here. Now, I know we've just spent the last few minutes hyping up this franchise. I think my nostalgia glasses have kind of worn off when it comes to this franchise. Um, Because I remember watching The Mummy for the first time uh, when I was... I was actually watched it pretty late. Like, I think I watched it when I was like a sophomore in college. Um, and I remember being like, Hey, this movie's pretty good. I understand what everyone's talking about. I understand why this movie's so hyped. And then I watched this movie again 
you know, for this. And I'm like, huh, a lot of this doesn't hold up. <laughs> um, so if you've never seen The Mummy, let's break it down a little bit real quick. Um, Brendan Fraser plays Rick O'Connell. Uh, kind of this, we- I-, I don't know, I- I- he's kind of like an Indiana Jones type character, but less scholarly, but he's also not as invested in anything about it. Like, Rachel Vice plays this character named Evelyn, and she is very scholarly. She wants to dig up this tomb to research it, and she hires, essentially hires Brendan Fraser to go with her and Brendan Fraser's like I'm only doing this so you help me get out of jail so he's kind of just along for the ride essentially um and so yeah this movie is about uh Evelyn and Rick and Evelyn's brother Jonathan going to this tomb accidentally waking up a centuries-old mummy and the curse that goes along with it and then them having to stop said mummy now Here's my biggest gripe with the movie. The movie, the mummy doesn't show up until an hour into the movie. It takes us a long time to get to the mummy part of the mummy. Suspense. They had to go through so much suspense before they even get to the climax. So many challenges and so many near-death experiences to try and find this tomb. And then they find the tomb and they're like, oh, so the world's about to end cool yeah and like there are cool moments that happen along the way to them uncovering this tomb i just feel like too much happens like there's this little rivalry between brendan Fraser's character and jonathan hyde's character where they're like racing to the tomb and then they get to the tomb and then they're like competitively digging on opposite sides of the tomb and that it just takes a long time for things to actually happen i don't know i kind of liked the pacing but i also liked these movies personally sure so it begins like the story that you end up following as you're watching the movie as you said rick o'connell is very much indiana jones as if he's fresh out of grad school and just focused on the treasure and part of the reason he agrees is because there's a money reward for something in that tomb that they're going into and that's why all these other scholars and egyptologists and whatnot are also trying to get there and they all end up on the same boat or different ways and then they end up having to bail on the boat because there's bad guys after them because Evie's brother Jonathan has the key and the map that they need to find this so-called treasure and so it's like a race against time for that that then they stumble into releasing this mummy character that they have to uh banish away yeah yes um this movie unlocked a new fear for me which is um scare up the yeah specifically them going under your skin oh yeah uh not a fan of that happening uh gross when i first saw that when i was little like the first time that i watched this movie i was traumatized for like weeks after yeah i was like that is do not blame you horrifying do not blame you at all um so i i was like kind of disappointed in the pacing but regardless 
the chemistry in this movie is, you know, undeniable and so irresistible. Good. Like it, it's it's almost beating a dead horse at this point of you know, it, the mummy gets memed on a lot by a lot of people saying it's their bisexual awakening and let me tell you. Amen. I get it. I Amen. get it. Like, listen, not a fan of his haircut, not a fan of Rick's haircut in this movie, but everything else, you know, he's got, he's got it locked. He's got uh, the attitude unlocked. So <laughs> I I think it was just really easy for me to tune out of this movie just at very, at, at several different instances, like even towards the end of the movie when Emotep was becoming a bigger threat, it all felt just very like. This almost felt like a bottle movie. It's like, all right, we have the city, we have the hotel, and we have the tomb. Those are our three locations. And so because of that, it didn't really feel like an adventure movie. Like, you look at all these adventure movies like Indiana Jones or Uncharted or anything like that, and there's a whole journey and process that kind of feels like that's kind of the building for everything. But I feel like this movie took a long time to get us to what it wanted to do, but didn't bring us anywhere while it was doing it. It was just like city, boat, tomb, tomb, hotel, hotel, tomb. It was kind of like they were just going on this treasure hunt. And then all of a sudden they read from the book of death for two seconds and suddenly the world was ending and it went from zero to a hundred but then only like it seemed like zero to a hundred but it was really only like zero to 80 and i just want to say evelyn uh she uh she got over the guilt of you know starting the apocalypse real easy hey Lots of people died because of this, Evie, and she, you're and you're just kind of cool with it, I guess. She you didn't believe in book, curses. Girl. She didn't believe in curses. She was like, "These aren't real. These are all fake. Nothing's gonna happen if I do this." But she also got over knocking down an entire library of shelves even faster. So, oh my goodness, yeah, it was one of those things where, like, not only should she have gotten fired, she probably should have been next to Rick at the noose. <laughs> Like, the movie starts, or her character gets introduced by her knocking over a dozen bookshelves of priceless books. More than that. And and then her mentor kind of comes up, and it's just like, ugh, Evelyn. Again? And you're like, again? Why? Yeah, and that's also the only moment where she's a klutz. Like, she's introduced as kind of supposed to be this... Like, can't take care of herself, can only see what's right in front of her kind of person. But that's not her character for the rest of the movie, like, let alone the the rest of the franchise. Yeah, no. Also, can we talk about how the first time you see her and Rick on screen together, he kisses her. So you're like, oh, they know each other. But then, no, they don't. He just kissed her because he was like, well, seems like a good idea right now. Maybe she'll get me out of here if I kiss her. Oh, that wasn't the vibe I got at all. Because, yeah, Rick is Rick is in jail and Evelyn walks up to him because she knows that he knows the way to the mummy's tomb. And while they're talking, Rick just kisses her. And I'm like, gross. What an incredible overstep of a boundary. And then we learn that he was just like, eh, I was going to die. If not now, then when? Yeah. Because, um, like, it was immediately cleared up two seconds after that where he just calls her lady. Because he's like, get me out of here, lady. And you're like, 
you just crossed that boundary, just grabbed her and kissed her, and then we're like, all right, now get me out of here. Like, I would think twice. Sorry. Now, here's the embarrassing part for me is I didn't know that this movie wasn't set in, like, the 1920s until, like, three quarters of the way through the movie because I was noticing, like, the cars that they were driving and the guns that they were using. And I'm like, this feels a little out of date. Why aren't you using better cars or guns? And then I'm like, oh, because it was 100 years ago. Just, All right, that makes more sense. Just slightly, you know, might be a little bit of an important plot point for you to understand there, Craig. Yeah, I know. Maybe I just didn't notice the part where it was like Egypt 1923 or whatever. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I loved all of like Brendan Fraser's one-liners that he has in these movies that are just like absolute yes, gold. Absolutely. Like I said, he his charisma just like it carries his character so much further. Uh, the only part of his character I didn't love was like. His interactions with Benny. Those are the um, funny ones. I, I, I just didn't love Benny in general. Oh, no. Which, like, first of all, this very Egyptian man played by a man whose last name is O'Connor. <laughs> Speaks hey. for the time. Speaks for the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like Benny's character that much. I did like the part where Emotep, when he first came back to life and was about to kill Benny, and he just starts rattling off different prayers in the hopes that one <laughs> of them is going to get him off. That That's a good, a good bit. That was a good bit. Um, My other favorite Benny moment is one of the most iconic Benny moments, which is the, hey, O'Connell, looks like I have all the horses. And then he's like, hey, Benny, looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. That one makes me laugh. I love Brendan Fraser so much. (laughs) It's so good. Um, The the whole plot point of Emotep being scared of cats because cats were like, the rulers of ancient Egypt or the guardians of ancient <laughs> Egypt. It felt that is a plot point that comes from a comedy movie. Yeah. Like not an action comedy like this. So I, I'm surprised they went with that. I feel like it could have been brought up a few more times. Cause it's like they do it once in the hotel and then he does it like once for real. And I'm like, Oh, I did not expect that cat to like actually be important. I thought that was just a convenient way to, Right. Get him out of the hotel for a second. Yeah, that's how I would. I say hotel. I think it's like a villa or something like it's that. Something. You know what I mean. Um, can we talk how unsettling No, Imhotep's no, we can't talk about it. Form is as a mummy before he gets all his skin back. Like, ugh. Yeah. And I remember when I watched that, when I rewatched this movie, I had the thought of like, oh, this actually looks a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Because in about 20 minutes, we are going to talk about the Scorpion King and his fantastic CGI. So I was kind of expecting this to also be bad. But like, as far as 1999 graphics go, decent. I've seen a lot worse. Absolutely. But it, it, and so he was like genuinely scary and well put together. So yeah, up to that. It makes my skin crawl every time I have to see him. I'm like, ew, 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 well, ew, ew. Well, at least you have skin to crawl. Emotep wasn't as lucky. <laughs> oh, here's maybe a hot take. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel this way about the next movie, too. Um, the prologues were too long. Like, yeah. the movie opens with, like, a five to ten minute scene of Emotep and his lover. And this whole, like, 
re- in this like binding ritual they did, this immortality ritual. And quite frankly, that could have been explained as we went. Yeah. I didn't I didn't ne- I didn't care to see it. There was definitely a point where we were it's the fact that it was Emotep prologue, Rick O'Connell prologue, Rachel Vice gets introduced and then the movie starts. Yeah. Like the, the the first act of this movie had like four distinct chunks that I feel like could have been streamlined a little bit better. I agree. And I feel like it would have added to the pacing for some people if they would have like told the Emotep prologue as they were going along their journey or something like that. Yeah. I was not very upset about um Benny getting stuck in the tomb. Not no, not really. Like I said, <laughs> Sayonara. <laughs> Hopefully I don't have to deal with you the next movie, which yeah. we didn't. Good. I was like, "Ooh, sorry, bud. Looks like uh, karma finally got you, you little snake. Like, I think just at the end of the day, this movie is fine. I think this movie is propped up by a lot of nostalgia. There's a lot of good parts to this movie, and I don't want to discredit that, obviously. Um, but like the action scenes still hold up, and the chemistry still holds up, the charisma still holds up. It's just a matter of, like, some of these finer details kind of get brushed away a little bit too much. And so I think this movie is like a six and a quarter. It's not a waste of your time. But if you've never seen this movie before and you've heard it get, like, hyped up to oblivion online, I would say maybe taper your expectations a little bit. I give this one, like, a seven and a quarter. Sure. Personally. I, you know, like I said, I was okay with the pacing, but I also, unless it's like super duper slow, pacing doesn't often bother me. But Unless it's Die Hard. Uh, yeah, <laughs> don't even get me started. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I thought that there were a lot of like really good moments in this movie. Like you said, the chemistry and the charisma still hold up and i think a lot of the humor in it does as well like you know you have the scene of rick and uh evie facing against i don't know i don't remember if it's emotep or if it's just like a creature in general like one of his army men or whatever but like rick just screams back at it and oh, gets yeah, it to go away and i was a like good one. i was like yep that still holds up a lot today and you still see that in a lot of humor today i guess you could say so yeah i thoroughly enjoy it and it's one that this is the second time i've watched it this year already so that shows you what it needs to (laughs) (laughs) now the mummy returns i didn't have any expectations going into this because i've never seen it before it's down almost like a whole point in fan ratings on imdb so i was kind of like all right this one's not gonna be good i just have to like brace myself for it at the end of the day i think i enjoyed the mummy returns just as much as i enjoyed the mummy it's just that i had way lower expectations for it So I think that also helped with my enjoyment of this movie. I feel like I started this movie, because this is only the second time I've ever seen The Mummy Return. I started it really, really interested and had my attention. But then about like the halfway point, I was like, okay, I'm kind of over this. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I get it. Once they start like getting into the jungle and start fighting the little imps. Like, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, Cause as I mentioned before, CGI is not great in this movie. Mm-mm. The, the little imps, 
don't look good. The Rock is the Scorpion King? Pretty bad. Like, I want to I wanna get one thing straight. This is 2001 CGI, right? Right. It's... I don't want to completely write it off because it's a full-body CGI on, like, a low-budget sequel. So, I, I, I want to cut it some slack. Um, it could have looked a lot worse, but it's it's still not great. Also... Welcome the rock to the acting world as of this yeah, movie. Yeah, this was, it was actually a very sweet moment when I lied. It's not a, I know I said low budget sequel. It's not a low budget sequel. <laughs> it's not at all. Um, but yeah, there was a very sweet moment when Brendan Fraser's standing ovation went viral. Like the rock went out of his way to be like, hey, Brendan Fraser's kind of the reason I'm in cinema now. So it's good to see him get the respect he's been deserving for 20 years. And that was a very sweet moment. I enjoyed that a lot. Yes, absolutely. That made me tear up all over again because I was already sobbing about the video like I do every time I watch it. (laughs) Especially the one that gets me is the one where Brendan Fraser, it's it's like a Zoom interview. And I think the interviewer is like in her her early 20s or whatever. And she's like essentially breaking the news to him that like, do you not know the entire internet loves you? And he's like, no, not really. And she's like, yeah, everyone on the internet is on your side and loves you and is very happy you are returning to the industry. And then he starts tearing up and she starts tearing up and I, I start, start tearing, tearing up. up. <laughs> so, yeah. And so what I like immediately about The Mummy Returns is Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss still got it. Obviously. Still got it. Um, they have a kid named Alex who is... Not as annoying as he could have been. But very much their Quite, child. Yes. And so I want to, I'm willing to even to say he was a good addition to the group. I agree. Um, also, we've gone this, hey, welcome to Small and Tall, where we go 30 minutes without talking about something we should have brought up a long time ago. We haven't talked about Jonathan in the slightest. Oh, sh- <laughs> Shows you how um, memorable his character really is. He's just, and so Jonathan is Evelyn's brother. We did mention that, but he's like where Evelyn is kind of like this. They come from a wealthy family and Evelyn is trying to use the wealth to procure knowledge and accumulate knowledge. And Jonathan is like, I want to get laid and treasure. And so Jonathan's just kind of, he's the scaredy cat. He's the, he's the comedic relief of the three of them, which they didn't really need because Mm-mm. Brendan Fraser's there. <laughs> um, but I think that pairing Jonathan with the son, Alex, was a good combination oh, because yeah. you have these two characters that like aren't really bound to anyone else. I mean, not to say that Rick and Evelyn are already bound to each other. So it makes sense for Jonathan and Alex to be bound together to kind of have that uncle nephew relationship. And it works. They have they actually have good chemistry together. It gave the character of Jonathan more of a backbone as a character. I feel like not necessarily like made him more brave, but just like made him more present to where he wasn't kind of like just a third wheel to Rick and Evelyn, I guess. Yes. And so the plot to this movie, um, it's the same. It's the same. Uh, <laughs> uh, except this time, Emotep is summoned by a bracelet that Alex accidentally puts on. Right. And so the whole movie is like, how do we get this bracelet off Alex? 
is Emotep coming back? Oh, Emotep is coming back. Why is Emotep coming back? Because he wants to fight the Scorpion King. Who's the Scorpion King? Oh, he's the strongest warrior of all time. And if Emotep beats him, then Emotep will come back to life. My favorite thing is that one of the within the first five minutes, one of the lines is, we don't want to wake the gods. And then immediately after, like, two different gods get awoken. Yeah. Also, yeah. uh-huh. we were just discussing Evelyn knocking down an entire library of shelves. <laughs> and then, of course, to show whose child this is, they have Alex knocking down an entire room worth of pillars in one of these Egyptian tombs. Which, why are why yeah. are we taking our small child on these expeditions where there are people also there who are willing to just leave our child to die? And, like, it's one thing, why do we take our son to the expeditions? Whatever. Why do you leave your son alone on these expeditions? Yeah, like, multiple times, Rick and Evelyn are too up each other's asses to realize that their child is getting into danger. I mean, to be fair, they are also getting themselves into danger. This is true. Um, it's just so, a family thing. They're just preparing. Yeah. Um, we also get reintroduced to this character that we didn't talk about in the last discussion, Our Death Bay. And this character is like, he's part of a secret society to keep Emotep's identity a secret. So nobody tries to awaken the curse. Hey, guess what? That didn't go well last time. Nope. And so he returns in this movie and he's like, hey, got some bad vibes. How's it going? And Rick and Evelyn are like, it's fine. Why are you here? And then Ardeth Bay sees that Alex has the bracelet on and he's like, ah, uh, uh, I have some bad news for you guys. The world's going to end in seven days. Uh, besties, I don't know how to tell you this. Bestie, uh, bestie, bestie, you guys got to save the world again. And so, uh, so this movie got, this movie introduced a character. I, I think it was Izzy is the character's name. Where, like Benny in the last movie, Rick has some history with this character, but the movie refuses to give us any details about the background. Izzy's like, I'm not working for you again, Rick. And Rick's like, ah, come on, bud. Let's figure it out. And Izzy's like, okay. Yeah. They're, uh, and then he takes him in a hot air balloon or whatever. It was. It all worked out. It all worked out. But, you know, he's also threatened at gunpoint by Rick. Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. You know, that might sway somebody's opinion just a little. Um. Now, I don't remember as much from this movie. <laughs> I'm not able to go into as much detail about this one. I just like, I remember it still being fun. But like you said, I don't know if it's because I watched them too close together, but it's essentially the same movie, right? So a lot of criticism that you could draw very quickly is like not being able to catch lightning in a bottle twice and uh, a lack of expanding upon what the original movie set up. And those are both fair criticisms of it's just the same movie again. But when the same movie is like charismatic and funny, I'm okay with that a little bit. Yeah. Like, I mean, did the Avengers not do the same with Thanos across multiple movies? Yeah. But so there's this scene where Jonathan and Alex end up having to steal a double-decker bus, right? 
And so they're trying to run away from these warriors of Imhotep. And eventually, you know, they beat them all off or whatever. And like the bus stops. And then they Rick did what? Stop it, Gregory. <laughs> they kill everyone. And then once everything is stopped, Rick goes up to Evelyn and they start making out. And then, you know, I too feel as though I need kisses after going through a life or death fight on a double-decker bus against mummies because I've been there before. I too just constantly feel like I need a kiss from Brendan Fraser or Rachel Weisz at any given point, quite At frankly. any given point. At any given point. But one criticism that I have that would have solved the major issue in this part of the movie that then leads to half of the plot is that maybe we should ensure the entire threat is no longer there before we start making out and not paying attention to our child who gets kidnapped off of the bus yeah both of these characters have major h-word syndrome (laughs) in this movie it's like hey you already have a kid like make sure you keep it under wraps at least (laughs) exactly like come on the honeymoon phase is long over and like there are points where like specifically jonathan is like guys can you stop making out for two seconds please I wonder yeah. if Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss ever dated. Uh, they should have if they didn't. Where's the W key? Found it. It's the, the tension there is too real. Like, they had to have at least... <laughs> <laughs> What's Google say? According to whosdatedwho.com slash dating slash Brendan dash Fraser, um, uh, Rachel Weiss and Brendan Fraser have never dated. Boo. Hold on. It says that they have a 64% compatibility rating. Ball. Wrong. Ball. Wrong. Ball. Yeah. Hey, if they don't, who does? You know what? They may not have dated, but there was something going on there. Listen, maybe, who knows? I'm not one to speculate, but... Or they're probably just, like, incredibly good at their jobs. One of the two. Yeah, yeah, but I'm lonely, so it's easier to speculate the <laughs> former. Um, I mean, I really have nothing else to say about this movie. <laughs> uh, you know, um, they, uh... It's just, it's the same as the first Mummy. It's a little less interesting. The CGI is worse. No. But, like... The essence of everything is still there. I have one more thing that I feel like we need to discuss. So there's there's this new like female character addition on the bad guy's side, right? It's supposed to be Emotep. Is it like Emotep's lover or just like someone who like loves Emotep? Okay, so it's Emotep's lover. So it's Emotep's wife because in the whole lore to this, and they showed this in the first Mummy as well, where they were like their immortality was bound to each other. Right. But while they were performing the ritual, I think like he killed her because he needed to to complete the ritual. But in between him killing her and her being brought back to life is when Emotep gets taken away or attempts to kill her rather. Um Emotep gets taken away and that's what and that's when the curse is placed upon him. And so the second movie is like, "Hey, what if we like actually got that part to work? Like, hey, yeah. what if their love actually was connected. Okay, so anyway, that character and Rachel Weiss's character are suddenly at one point in these skimpy outfits doing entire gymnastics routines while fighting with swords in front of half-dressed men. And I'm like, can I get a hell yeah? <laughs> this scene was 
not created for anything other than people to drool over. And that was just like, okay, yeah, I see flexible women in skimpy clothing. <sighs> you could have hidden it a little better. That's all I'm saying. Is you could have, you could have, <laughs> could have hidden the male gaze a little more here. Sorry, I'm just looking up photos from this scene. Oh, Craig. I just pig. had to remember what I had to remember what you were talking about. You know what I'm talking it's about. It's journalism. Bull crap. All right. Um. I'm going to give this movie a flat six. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, no, nothing to write home about. If you wanted more of the same, here you go. This one is good for, like, you finish The Mummy and then you don't know what else to watch and you're kind of ready to go to bed, but you want to have something on the TV, so then you just put this one on and go to sleep to it. The Scorpion King. The Scorpion King. Did you know that there are four Scorpion King movies? Excuse me? <laughs> Yeah, so um, there's four Scorpion King movies, and if I recall correctly, only the first one has Mr. Johnson in it. Well, then what's the point? What's the point, right? What's what's the point? And, like, all of them are rated very poorly on IMDb. I lied. There's five. Oh, my gosh. With an untitled reboot in yeah, the works. Yeah, but, but Mr. Johnson is... Mr. Johnson, reboot. right. Is he? <laughs> I believe so. Um in some form. Okay. I don't know what I don't his... see I don't see his name on, you know, Wikipedia, which is my trusted source for most things. Uh... Um but hey, who knows? Um it, yeah, it, it's weird cuz like these movies must have made money because there's no way like these movies were not critical successes by any sense of the imagination, but apparently they're popular enough to make five of them yeah that's uh quite a few i guess people just really like you know scorpions mummy adventure type movies i guess um let's see what big men get pretty woman so according to box office mojo the first scorpion king had a budget of 60 million dollars which I do not see on screen. <laughs> I don't see that $60 million on screen. I see it but on it screen had... and how many actors they had in this movie. Okay, fair. Um, and it grossed $180 million worldwide. Um, so that warrants a sequel. That That's sequel money right there. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of that hype was The Rock. Mummy. Yeah, one part rock, one part mummy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, wh why don't we actually tell them what it's about, Craig? Well, because I'm not done yet. Uh, Scorpion King 2 has a 3.8 on IMDb. That's so low. Oh, American directed DVD action adventure film. So that's why I can't find it on box office mojo. Um, <laughs> Straight to DVD. Okay, the film earned $12 million in home media sales. That's quite a drastic drop. Quite a drastic drop, you're right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened here. Okay, Scorpion <laughs> King, if you're not familiar. Hey, remember last movie when Dwayne Johnson rolled up and fought Brendan Fraser? What if he made a movie about that guy? The answer, eh, meh, eh. Uh, it, it was giving, it was, it was giving wrestling the entire yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 and you can, I want to say, first and foremost, as far as acting debuts go, Dwayne Johnson's pretty good. 
Absolutely. Like, he has. I know we've been throwing this word around a lot, but Mr. Johnson has some charisma, right? He's not this famous for no reason, and you see it instantly in this movie. And I think what it all boils down to, the thing that I'm going to say that summarizes most of this movie, it's a good background watch. It's a good background watch. Solid background watch. Dwayne Johnson says some funny things. He does some cool action things. There's a pretty lady in it. And good background movie. And you know who else is in it? I'm curious to see who you're going to say. Carlisle Cohen. Did you say Arlisle Cohen? No, Carlisle Cohen. Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey, Discord is not perfect by any means, okay? <laughs> and again, here comes our... You reference people by their character name. I reference people by their actor. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know any real people named Carlisle. That should give it away. <laughs> we only spent two hours talking about the entirety of the Twilight franchise. You're right. But that was a year and a half ago. And I have the memory of a goldfish. Craig, now, I haven't score- stopped talking about it to you since then. <laughs> This is also true, specifically about this kid. Um, I cannot express... A lot of people rag on this movie. A lot of people treat this movie like it is the bottom of cinema. And I think that people only say that in comparison to The Mummy, right? And as someone who had a pretty lukewarm take on The Mummy this time around, I am perfectly comfortable walking up to this movie and being like, hey, this is not great. Some might argue it's not good. I'm not gonna, you know, throw you down the shaft like that, though. I recognize what you are. You are an early 2000s cheesy movie, and I am here for it. it me too. It's not the worst. Like you said, it's very much a background movie. <laughs> and Kelly Hugh is in this movie, and I just feel bad for her. You know, you were talking in uh, Mummy 2 about how there was this incredibly lewd fight scene that seemed like the only purpose was to watch hot women do gymnastics. Um, Little did we know that, you know, Kelly Hugh was going to be literally naked for the majority of her screen time on this movie. Yeah, noticed that one. I was like, oh, cool. And like the scene where she gets introduced, she's in a bathhouse, right? And her hair is covering her boobies. (laughs) And in the moment, it's like, ha ha, It's cheeky. It's a little funny, you know, whatever. And then they leave the bathhouse and she's still naked. And you're kind of like, huh, is this going to be, is this going to be her character's thing? And it kind of was, which was, you know, maybe a little uh, demeaning and derivative, but whatever. Whatever, I guess. I mean, yeah, there's an entire scene of her practically flashing all her bits and pieces at like a 12 year old boy after that scene where I was like oh okay we could have covered her up a little bit more before we pulled her out of the water ass first yeah it was um uh, uh, that scene would probably not be met with as little scrutiny if it was re-released today hopefully filmmakers have you know a little bit uh more nuance When it comes to stuff like that. I will say one of my favorite things about The Rock just in general, and especially in this movie, because he's supposed to be playing like this super serious 
tough killer character, right? But yeah. his voice is so gentle compared to his size and how serious he looks. Yeah, you know, you, you have one of the biggest men on the planet walk up to you and he just goes, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help you? Don't worry. I'm not going to kill you yet. Like, oh, okay, Rock. Okay. Not, yeah, hey, you can help me. dinner first. Yeah. I'll um, let you help me. Yeah. <laughs> And I I was looking through the trivia for this movie, and this just goes to show how much of, like, you forget IMDb's a wiki every now and then. Mm-hmm. And it, sometimes you look in the trivia, and you see a piece of trivia that's like, Dwayne Johnson's character in this movie is a lot nicer than the one portrayed in The, in the Mummy 2. And I go, that's not trivia, that's an observation. That is an observation. And maybe that's because this was before he was betrayed and entombed, but it's whatever. Yeah. And if I'm being completely honest, I agree. The Scorpion King that we see in this movie, I don't know how he mutates into a scorpion and is just bloodthirsty. He's a little aggressive in this movie in the sense of, I'm willing to kill people because that's kind of my thing. But at no point is he like, ah, what a a village of unarmed citizens. Allow me to unsheath my swords and go ham on them. Like, that's not this character. Also, that character wouldn't be fun to watch. That'd be bad. He'd be the antagonist of a movie. Maybe they explain that in the sequel and that's why it tanked so hard. Hey, I don't care. I really don't care. And shout out to Michael Clark Duncan, by the way, who is one of those character actors that you see all the time. He plays like the B plot antagonist. He's like the antagonist lieutenant in this movie. We saw him in Sin City as the taxi driver. Yes. I think. Uh, or he's in the regard he's in Sin City. He's so in the he's Green just, Mile. That's yeah, he's just one of it. the he's one of those actors that's just all over the place. And I like to shout him out whenever I see him. Because he did he did a lot of work and a lot of really good work too. Uh, and he and he's good in this movie too. He does a really good like I think he nails that antagonist lieutenant role really, really well because he does a good job at being taken seriously while also egging on the protagonist. And I think he does that a lot in this movie. Like whenever he has screen time, it's like, hey, try me. He, he just has a big try me energy in this movie. And I am always a fan of that coming from him specifically. Oh, he plays that part so well. Do you think that Arpid was the new Benny? Or do you think he was more the Jonathan of this franchise? Which one was Arpid? Was Arpid the kid? No, Arpid was the one who, like, was the horse stealer. Oh, he was in so little of it, or... He's got to be Jonathan. So- yeah, probably. Um, The kid was also there. The kid played a way bigger part than I thought he was going to. Oh, me like, too. Like, the Scorpion King is like, hey, I need some help getting into the palace. And the kid's like, I'll do it for a price. And then they get into the palace, and he's still in the movie. And I'm like, no, you're good. You can go now if, you, if you'd like. Hey, you served your purpose. And the kid's like, nah, I'm going to stick around. I'm a ride or die now. Um, also, I do find it very funny that the, Scorpions, that the Scorpion King's name is Matthias, which is, in my head, a very, like, there was a YouTuber I used to watch 
named Matthias, and he was like, ooh, as white bread as they come. So when I hear... When I hear the Scorpion King, played by Dwayne Johnson, I'm like, that's not Matthias. No. Wrong. No. Incorrect. It's, it's spelled differently, but it's it still gives the same vibes. Sorry. Also, hey, gang, couldn't have given Kelly Hughes' character a name. Nope, we had she's... to stick with the Sorcerers. The Sorceress? Yep, no names. Just a thought. Hey, it's just an I'll object. You, hey, hey, you could have called her Kelly. Like Kelly Hughes is going to be in this movie. Your character's name is Kelly now, I guess. I would have accepted that. Yeah. She was just is, there to be an object. I, That's it. And I like her. I think she makes the most with what little she is given. Absolutely. And I, I, I want to give respect to that. I really feel like she would have shown in this movie if there was a little bit more for her to go on. Um, because she, like, she's used as a tool by other people. She's a walking MacGuffin. And it's just kind of like, she did develop a personality, but not until like the last 15 minutes when she goes back to Memnon to like, uh, betray him. And I'm like, okay, where was this energy for the last 50 minutes? And of course, you know, it's a it's a white man who wants all the power. Yeah, that's fair though. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that tracks. That tracks. So yeah, I mean, this movie's a background movie. Whatever. I, I And I'm gonna give it like, I know, it gets dogged on a lot. And this rating is gonna imply that I'm also dogging on it. And maybe I have been for the last 15 minutes, but I think I'm going to give it a 5.75. Yeah, I feel like that's about where I am with it as well. Just because, you know, as good as The Rock is in it, as good as Kelly Hugh is in it, and as funny as the line, nobody goes to the Valley of Death, that's why they call it the Valley of the Dead. Wait for me, please, is. <laughs> <laughs> I does It only does so much for it. The, the yeah. witty one-liners don't hold the same weight as they normally do. So, yeah. Now, the mummy and the tomb of the emperor's king remembered it that time. Um, Finally. I think this movie's difficult because it's really hard. It's really hard to not think about Rachel Weisz the entire time you're watching this movie. Thank you. That was one of my biggest notes is there's not the same chemistry between... Brendan Fraser and what what what's what's her name? What's the what's the what is I it? I didn't have her. I didn't have it pulled up. Hold on, mummy tomb. Maria Bello. Yeah, the, totally not the same type of energy and tension. Yeah, and not to say that there isn't. There I think is. Brendan Fraser is one of those people where he can create. Yes. Um. He 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 just like he is a source. Uh, he is a light source in any movie he's in. And so the people that he's around are naturally going to be more likable simply because they are around him. Yeah, and, and you can I tell that- with this one, you can tell that he was the one carrying the weight of that, like, that relationship. relationship. And so I don't want to knock it completely because I would have been more offended, I think, if they had just written out her character and have her not be included at all. Oh, absolutely. I like I like the fact that Evelyn is still involved. I like the fact that, you know, the family unit, while dysfunctional, is still there. I genuinely 
really like that perspective in this movie. And I think this movie does a good but not great job handling that. So watching Rick and Evelyn and Alex, watching them interact is the most enjoyable parts of this movie. It's just a bummer that Rachel Weisz couldn't or didn't want to participate as well. And I don't want to blame her for that. You know, if she read the script, didn't like it, didn't want to be in it, more power to her. her. It's just, you know, regardless, this movie is at a detriment because of it. Not an intense one for me personally, but one that is important to recognize. Yeah, I feel like there was a lot more chemistry, just like natural on-screen chemistry between Alex and Lynn than there was between Rick and the new Evie, but... They did. They worked well with what they had, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. The and but again, not detrimental. Yeah, and another little fault that I think this movie ran into is we talked about how in the Mummy Returns, Alex and Jonathan were very good scene partners because they were kind of all the other person had. But with the introduce introduction of this character, Lynn, played by Isabella Long, now Alex and Lynn are paired up together, and now Jonathan is stuck with a camel, or a goat, this time. <laughs> yak. It was a yak. Yak. And so it was just kind of a bummer to be like, Jonathan's main appeal as a comedic relief character came with when he had a person to bounce off of. And he did not have that in this movie. No, his character was much less involved than what I would have liked after coming off of last movie with how good that chemistry was and the back and forth. This one, he only had a couple good lines. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Michelle Yeoh, who I had never seen in my life before April of this year. And then after seeing everything everywhere, she's popping up in all the stuff that I am retroactively (laughs) watching. She's in everything everywhere. Because she is in like two seasons of Star Trek Discovery. She's in this. She's in Shang-Chi. She's in all of the upcoming Avatar movies. And so like, I just like Like shout out to her for like, she really, you were right. You were right. She is literally everywhere Everywhere. (laughs) and and you know what more power to her happy to see her her. every time i see her it's never oh michelle yo it's always ah michelle yo hello craig do you think we should tell them what happens no movie no hey guess what there's another mummy whoa this time in shangri-la yeah uh alex their son who is i think eight in the second movie is now you know an uh, a college-aged kid. He's been bouncing from school to school, dropping out pretty much all over the place. And then, without telling his parents, he starts in uh, an ex- excavation, ex- exhibition, ex- exhibitionist. That's not it. Um, <laughs> he starts his own little thing where he starts digging up a tomb. And he discovers the tomb of, guess what? The Dragon Emperor. And, hey, guess what? There's a mummy in there. The mummy gets loose. Time Uh for the team to stop him. Woohoo! And Rick O'Connell almost dies in this one. Oh, my God. I almost started crying. (laughs) Yeah. I was, like, like kind of paying attention, kind of not paying attention. And then Rick, like, 
takes a sword for his son. And oh. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. Is Rick going to die? Rick can't die. And I was kind I was of two minds about it because yes, it would have been sad. But on the other hand, like I appreciate a movie that has the balls to kill its main character. Uh, yeah. I guess that would be one way to do it, and it'd be a pretty honorable way to go, but... there It would have been pretty without fanfare. We, I would yeah. want to see a more fanfaric way to see him go. Um, I, I, I think this movie fixes a lot of the problems that I had with the first Mummy, which was like, hey, let's not worry about setup so much. Let's, let's resurrect the Mummy and let's get into it. And so, yeah, there's only like 20 or 30 minutes of setup before the emperor gets released from the tomb or at least it only feels like 20 or 30 minutes um i really liked seeing rick and evelyn kind of you know in a tuxen dress at a high life bar that was a very nice yes, aesthetic i could have so watched good. that for a little bit longer absolutely that was that was really good liked that and them and them in the storage room with all the artifacts and they're all like flirting with each other. And I'm like, I know you're not Rachel Vice, but this, this is, this is a good scene. I like this scene a lot. I just liked that. Like their love never changed. <laughs> yes. And, and that's why I'm glad that there is still Anne Evelyn in this movie because watching Rick without Evelyn or mourning Evelyn no, or thanks. grieving a divorce or something that would have been sad. And like, I, that would have brought an entirely unwelcome melancholic tone to this movie. So I'm glad that there there was enough charm in this movie to to save it, I think. Absolutely. Like, give me cheesy flirting anytime. Thank you. Yeah. I'll never and say no. Never ever. And this movie has some, like, in, in The Mummy Returns, there was a guy that, like, flew a war balloon or whatever. And then in this movie, there's a guy like Mad Dog or what's his name? Something like that, uh, where he f he flies planes and he's like, he can land us any, he can land a plane anywhere. And then he lands a plane in the middle of a mountain and that's it. Um, So like, you know, you get a lot, you get a lot of these characters that's just kind of like, hey, you're important because we need to move along. Why? You, you want to know what most surprised me about this movie all of a sudden? The X-rated penetrative sex scene? That, no, that, no. No? No. But you know what I'm talking about, right? No, I don't think so. Oh, did I, I watch the wrong the movie? movie? Craig, Craig, what um, site did you go on this time? Oh, no. I Mine was called The Mommy. Oh, sorry. My bad. That's my bad. Sorry. <laughs> it's weird that everything else was the same except for that, though. Crazy. Wild. Anyway... <laughs> I looked away for this from the screen for like two seconds, and then I looked back, and suddenly there was a yeti, and then there were <laughs> three yetis. <laughs> no, I think um, I think Jonathan even has a line that's like, "Hold on, I did not sign up for yetis." <laughs> me, uh, I was like, "Yetis," <laughs> and l listen, I was not expecting yetis. I was expecting even less protective yetis like nowhere in this movie's history would i see a bunch of yetis and not think oh they're gonna kill everyone they're gonna kill everyone but nowhere did i expect for them to be like oh there's an avalanche let me shield you with my body yeah like the humans you don't know any history between the humans and the yetis and so you're like oh man this is gonna be another 
enemy on top of the emperor and his army. And suddenly, no, the yetis are on the human side. And I want to make it clear, the yetis do come out of nowhere. Absolutely. Because they they are, in the first movie, right, there were those people that uh, protected the tomb of the mummy and made sure that nobody interacted with it. That's what the yetis did in this in this movie. There was a specific monument that they were like, hey, don't let the emperor use this monument or he'll like activate Sh- Shangri-La and become immortal again. And I guess the yetis are on board with making sure he doesn't do that. And so the only problem with that though is a lot of stuff happens at that monument before the yetis show up like the o'connells are laying explosives before the yetis show up it's like they were all asleep it's like they were all in their break room or whatever and someone was like should we should we be out by the monument like what if something happens and there and the other yeti was like nothing has happened to that monument for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's no way something's happening now. And then they hear an explosion go off and they're like, oh God, we're late. We're late. We gotta go. <laughs> we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. Oh, and our boss is gonna kill us. Also, we already mentioned that Rick gets stabbed, right? Early on. After that scene, we, you know, we learned that Lynn is immortal and so is her mother and they save Rick's life. And then when it's time to get back to the action... We get one of the greatest five-second moments of Brendan Fraser shirtless in a coat. Yes. Yes. And that's <laughs> all I needed to love this movie. That's... Whew. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. That was, that was a good shot. Props to the director for that one. I'm not done talking about the monument. Why not just destroy the monument? Yeah. They... <laughs> They always do things the hard way in these movies, though. And and I don't mean, why didn't the O'Connells just blow up the monument? I mean, why was there a monument that that could only be used by bad people? If you had people guarding the monument to stop it from being used at all, just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. If there's no good purpose for it, get rid of it. Like, what's the point? Come on, get rid of it. You don't need it. After... And after having that thought, it made me go back to the first Mummy movie that's like, why did we destroy that one too? Like, that one I understand. Like, there was some illusion magic stuff that was happening. That one had like a human protective guard and a secret society. That's too much work still. You know, we can keep the monuments to honor these people who apparently need to be honored. What we need to do is leave alone why are we disturbing these tombs where these mummies are because we think that these curses aren't real and then they keep turning out to be real and then we still keep doing it yeah that that also works i get i mean my way was more fun but uh, still <laughs> that would solve everybody's problems is if we just leave crap alone so again this movie does not get a lot of love I, I think a lot of people can't get over the recasting of Rachel Vice, which I get. A lot of people, you know, are like, you can't catch lightning in a bottle again. Understandable. Um, but I think that people are just a little bit too harsh when it comes to that. Like, I think the movie fully recognizes and will even, I think there are even some lines that straight up say, yeah, it's a mummy again. What did you expect? So I I really don't want to give this movie a lot of crap. I think this movie is on par with at least The Mummy Returns. Yeah, I was to say it might even be 
a little better than Mummy Returns. Yeah, like granted, this movie comes out came out seven years after Mummy Returns and still had about the same level of CGI, which I can understand having a problem with. But now that we're 15 to 21 years removed from both of them, that's fine. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. I'm going to say that time has looked kindly on Tomb of the Dragon Emperor more so than Mummy Returns. I definitely agree. What are you writing? Also, oh, hold on. I want to do one more thing real quick. Jet Li is in this movie. Okay. We haven't talked about Jet Li at all. And Jet Li is like, he is second only to like, he is pretty much the go-to Hollywood, like kind of action star when it comes to martial arts outside. You got, you had like Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, Jet Li. Like he was the third in that hierarchy. And I think it could have been anyone you didn't need to whip out Jet Li for this one. Especially He's for fine. what they had him doing. Like, they didn't really have him doing anything spectacular. With Like, he has way more skill than what this movie called for. Yeah, and I don't know Jet Li's prowess as an actor, so maybe him being in a silent role or, like, a, a, a quieter character in general... Maybe that is for the best. I, I can't attest to that. But, like, he spends most of the movie as a statue. You know. Like, you're going to get a very talented martial artist, and you're going to literally make him stiff? The pay okay. must have been well. The pay must have been well. All right. Hold on. Well, I'm on this website still. I got to see how it tomb are you budgeting um oh my god this cannot be real what no way budget for this movie was 145 million dollars i can see it with how extravagant the sets were yeah um uh, yeah again this is all according to box office mojo so um but the movie made its money back hand over foot it was 400 million dollars worldwide Ooh. um so like fair enough fair enough fair enough fair enough um Okay, so uh, to give an answer to your question, flat yeah. six, flat six. I think I agree. I think I think it's a flat six. Maybe like maybe like like a six point one two. Sure, sure. Okay, let's talk. What do we want if we were to do a new mummy movie? Okay, mm-hmm. first off, I don't want Brendan Fraser to get a Hollywood body. I want Brendan Fraser back, and I want As him to is. look like how he looks. As he is, right? I do not, that man does not need to change for anyone. Absolutely not. Um, two. Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss, please come back. <laughs> please. 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 Like, I'll understand. Listen, listen. Like I said, I'll understand if you don't want to. I get it. I get it. But it'd make me really happy if you came back. Pretty please. I'll be um, real good. I need to see Alex and Jonathan on screen together. And that, they have to be in Peru, of course, because that's where Jonathan sure. goes at the end of the movie. Well, I mean, it's I, I'm assuming this movie takes place 15 or 20 years later, so they can be anywhere. Lots can happen in 20 years. I mean, that's true. Um, I just like, I would be willing. I'd watch another Mummy movie. If they released another Mummy movie, I would watch it, all right? I think it's honestly more on the audience to manage their expectations than it would be on the studio to make a quote-unquote worthy sequel. Because I think the movie would have to double down on the campiness. Also, I would want, like, mid-2000s humor, right? Like, I I don't want them trying to keep up. I don't want them to do, like, a modern 
comedy, right? I And I don't want it to be a comedy per se. Like all of these movies have had comedy undertones, but at the end of the day, like they're action movies. And I want that to, you know, still be at the heart of the movie. I think right. it's action still... adventure comedy. I think if you get Brendan Fraser back in the saddle, especially in his like, you know, kind of middle age now, it forces movie writers to be creative with how they do their action. And I think if done really well, or I think if done very carefully and very specifically, we could be treated it. We could be treated to some very unique action moments that I think only current Brendan Fraser could get. I agree. I definitely agree. Uh, so yeah, any yeah, last I just, I, yeah, I know. I I I wouldn't be opposed to it. All in all, none of these movies are great. None of these movies are awful. Like I think. For the most part, what you see in the first one is going to be what you get in the last one. It's just all about how you feel about how they're doing it this time. I really think at the end, the formula didn't change. It's all a matter of kind of like how it's put together. And I don't think that none of these movies are put together horribly. That's kind of why they all sit on the same line. So what rating would you give this entire franchise it's a flat if i went purely mathematical it'd be a flat six however as a franchise i think that this is a master class in understanding character relationships specifically between rick and evelyn and i think that for that reason alone i'm willing to bump it up to like a a, would it be weird if i gave the whole franchise a higher rating than i'd given any of the movies no then it's a six and a half that's what i was gonna say yeah it's about a because there's a lot about these movies i would change like Oh my, like, you mean, you, you heard me talk about the first mummy. There's a lot that I would change, but from a character perspective, uh, both Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss and Brendan Fraser and Maria Bello have such powerful interactions that you could eat those up for weeks. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, hey Craig. What's up? Guess what time it almost is. I, I hate it. I hate it already. Here's the thing. I've already been doing this for two weeks, all right? We are talking about horror movies, okay? And I am... Uh, we've already recorded two episodes of Permanent Good by the time this comes out, which means I've already watched two horror movies. And I've got three to go just for Permanent Good. So now what Bug is going to give to us is four more movies that I'm going to watch and just have a bad time with. Okay, it is almost time for the 2022 Small and Tall Halloween Spooktacular. And this year, we're going to be watching Alien, Midsummer, The Thing, and The Blair Witch. Project. The Blair Witch Project. Yeah, it's The Blair Witch. That's what everybody knows it as, but... Okay. I mean, The Blair Witch was a video game that came out in 2019 and is a horror game based on the Blair Witch Project movie franchise. So make sure that, you know, you you say it specifically enough so people know exactly what you're talking about. I'll see myself out. You don't have to say anything. I'll see myself out, actually, for that one. (laughs) I'm glad you caught it. (laughs) 
But um, anyway, I'm very excited to see and experience Craig pretty much having a meltdown at all of these movies because horror movies are not his thing. And I think we actually picked some pretty scary ones for this year. Yes. And the choices that I made for this year, I, I chose the alien and I chose the thing because at the very least... I, at the very least, I'm getting some quintessential movie history out of this. That's kind of how I have to go into it. It's like, it, it's for the betterment of my film knowledge. I need to see these movies. I've heard fantastic things. I'm going to need a therapist. <laughs> I chose Midsummer and the Blair Witch Project. Midsummer because, well... Florence Pugh and also it's one of the most like psychologically uncomfortable left me feeling uncomfortable for hours after movies I've ever seen and then the Blair Witch because I think it's really because they want to watch me piss my pants because they want to watch me piss my pants that but also I'm really excited to talk about it because it was filmed in a really really cool way so yeah and don't worry I have things to say about that Already, and I haven't seen it. But that's next month. Whatever. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Anything else to say, Gregory? That's it. I'm good. Alrighty. I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. Thanks for stopping by to listen to us yabber on about the Mummy franchise. Also, real talk, what a perfect time for us to do it, because they're literally leaving Peacock at the end of September. So we nailed it. Nailed it. Crushed it. We will be back next month for the 2022 Small and Tall Halloween Spooktacular. See you then. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Mwah.